everybody. Hi there. Welcome back to Planet and God. We are continuing our journey through Matthew and yeah. we are on chapter 22. Matthew 22. So uh, get ready to read. Well, we're not going to read it. We're going to give you our notes. So go read it and then come back and we'll discuss what we thought about it. Yep. Matthew 22. This brings out the uh, testing of the Messiah, is what we see throughout this chapter. He starts off with a parable, the parable of the wedding feast, right? This is a continuation of what Jesus said in the last chapter, verses 43 through 44. Jesus is using a parable to teach about the removal of the kingdom offer from the Pharisees of that generation. That's... It's a really cool parable. It is a nice parable. I like it a lot. I, uh, it specifically verse 7 reads, But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. And so I thought of the destruction of 70 AD. That's, well, yeah, that's what he's referencing. This is a, a, not only a parable, but a prophecy of that destruction. Um, so within the parable, you've got a number of players. You've got the king, the son, the servants, the first group of servants, the second group of servants, and then um, the those that were invited to come, right? So the king is God, obviously. The son is the son, Jesus Christ. The first group of servants in verse 3 is John the Baptist and his disciples. The second group of servants would be Jesus' disciples. And then those that are bidden to come are the Pharisees, are the Jews, right? That's the nation, the nation of Israel. And so they, um, it's the Jews of that generation, the, Jew, the Jews of first century Israel. That's who's bidden to come. Because when you know, if you remember way back at the beginning when Jesus started his ministry, he started with the kingdom of heaven at hand. And they were to accept that kingdom offer, but they didn't. They rejected it. And so now they are deemed unworthy. Verse 8, the, those who are invited are not worthy. And then, then that brings in the people from the highways, referring to the Gentiles. Everyone now has a chance to enter the kingdom of heaven, which is really awesome. And then you have the man without the wedding garment in verse 11. So you kind of have to understand a little bit about the Jewish wedding practice of the day. To be invited to, to have a wedding garment is like receiving an invitation. So today we send paper invitations and RSVPs. And what they would do in first century Jerusalem or Israel is they would send a servant out with white garments. And if you received a white garment from Zechariah's servant, you're invited to his son's wedding. So that, that, was, that served as your invitation. So here, the garment symbolizes salvation. The fact is, is that one doesn't have a garment means that he wasn't invited in, right? Not only do you have to uh, receive, have the invite, but you have to receive it. You have to accept it, right? So I could get Zachariah's garment and still reject it. Um, so this is something that is given to us today through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. I want to read 
jump over to this verse, Isaiah 61.10, which says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. The purpose of this parable is to show us that if anyone wants to be a part of the messianic kingdom, they must rely on God to provide the covering of righteousness. They must rely on the Father to cover them through faith in the Messiah, not by their own works. It's not something we can do. Um, And so you have the man that gets called out for his inappropriate dress, that's a symbolism of a lack of salvation, a lack of righteousness through salvation. That means that that man refused forgiveness through the Son. Romans, I want to read this one, Romans 10 verse 3 says, For they, being ignorant of God, God's righteousness, and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So some will try to enter with their own righteousness, but they will not succeed. And then they will be cast, verse 13, back in Matthew, they will be cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yeah, it's kind of a... Yeah. Not something people want to think about. Right. And so that closes out the parable, and now we enter into the testing of the Messiah. We essentially get a back-to-back rumble, if you will, of testing, where the each of the Jewish leaders are going to come in, the leadership groups are going to come in, and they're going to try to make the Messiah fall. Yeah, I felt like the so from the rest of the chapter to the end, it was like intense. It is intense. It is back, like I said, it's a back-to-back rumble. Yeah. One after another after another. And it all happens within the same day. That's a cool, you know, fact and feature there. Um, So you have the first group that comes, the Herodians. This is in verse 15 through 22. From a cultural perspective, the Herodians was a different group of Pharisees, a different group of Jewish leaders. The um, Pharisees opposed Roman rule entirely. This is the difference between the two. You had the Pharisees who opposed Roman rule entirely. The Herodians would accept Roman rule only from the line of Herod. So as long as the leader was from the house of Herod, they were good. They were kosher with it. And so here you have the two of them kind of team up. It's a tag team. Um, but the Pharisees send the Herodians in to do the questioning. But they're trying to make Jesus stumble. Um, their uh, idea was to entangle, entangle him in his talk. So they, the, the first thing that they went against was taxes. All right, we can get Jesus to stumble on taxes. Um, and so they ask him about the taxes. Should the people give tribute to Caesar? Um, if Jesus says no at this point in time, that would be grounds for charging him with sedition, which is a capital punishment. If Jesus says yes, uh, then that would anger the multitude and the people would stop following him. you got to know, he's in the temple right now. Right. So he's only among the Jews. So they're trying to, to, catch, to catch 22. However, Jesus in his wisdom asks for a coin. Someone has to go fetch it because they're in the temple. They wouldn't have any of these coins. 
Caesar's coins. And in his wisdom looks at the image. And whose image is it? It's Caesar's. So you give it to Caesar. So that's that's that one. Yeah, I like that. Like verse 22, um, it says that they marveled and then yeah. left him and went their way. Right? So they were like, wow, what an answer. Right. <laughs> Not what they wanted, but like... They were still marveling um, at his, like, you know, because Jesus was very wise. Um, so that gets us to the next group, the Sadducees. This is verses 22 through 23. Or thir- 22, 23. 23. The Sadducees, this is verses 23 through 33. Yep. They come to test Jesus, and they question about the resurrection. Now, the Sadducees, what you need to know about them, is that they do not believe in a literal resurrection. They think it's silly. So they're using... I do find it interesting that they chose to question on that grounds. Yes. When they well, don't themselves believe it. They, like, the reason they question on it, though, is because it's it's something that they debate the Pharisees on a regular basis. So because they debate the Pharisees on a regular basis, they already have questions lined up. Right? It's, it's Oh, yeah, I guess that would make sense. Yeah, it's like if you were to go into a debate. If I'm going to debate someone, I'm going to debate a person about um, cloud computing because that's my area of expertise professionally. And so I go into a conversation already knowing the questions I'm going to ask because that's, that's what I do. The Sadducees have been debating the Pharisees about the resurrection for years and years and years. And so they build up this repository of questions. And so now they're coming with the linchpin question, if you will, the one that always stumbles the Pharisees. Yeah. I suppose that does make sense. Never yeah. thought of it like that. Yeah. They're asking <laughs> one of their common questions that they tend to use to make the Pharisees look stupid. They think it'll do the same with Jesus. However, Jesus, in turn, silences them. In verse 29, he says that they do not know two things. First, they do not know the Scriptures and that they do not know the power of God, right? They put God in a box and keep him there and say that nothing else can happen outside of this box. That's essentially. Uh, the point that Jesus makes to support the resurrection is that God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living, right? He has a living relationship with the patriarchs. We see that in the Old Testament when Jesus quotes, the verses that Jesus quotes are, referenced multiple times in Genesis and Exodus, right? That he is the God of the living. So if God is the God of the living, then he can't leave the patriarchs dead. Right. They must come back to life so that he can be the God of the living. If God fulfills his promises, then he is the God of the living. And we do have a God who fulfills promises and prophecy. Right. So now we get into the testing of the Pharisees. In verses 34 through 40, and when they come in, when they step into the scene to test Jesus, they kind of gloat a little bit. You see that that when they had heard that he silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. So they're like, oh, we have a new argument now, another uh, a win for us, right? So now they know how to debate the Sadducees. And so they come in gloating, and they ask a question on theology, which is the greatest commandment. And Jesus responds with the Shema, that is the first part of Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 5, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Um, Notice that the commands that Jesus gives here 
is not the Ten Commandments. Right? He's not saying that the greatest command is from the Ten Commandments. No, it's not that at all. He goes outside of that. And essentially, if we love God and neighbor, then the rest of the commands of the law, the Ten Commandments, are fulfilled. That's, that is the Ten Commandments in a nutshell. Right, because essentially it falls to your heart and loving the Lord. Yep. Right, and when you love something, you desire to do what's right. Exactly. It's So that's already there because the love of it is there. Right. And so that wraps up the testing of the Messiah. That is the rumble. And now, from now on, they will no longer try to entrap him with theological questions. So anytime we see the Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, scribes, they will not be testing Jesus. So the last little section, what was 41 to 46? Six. Yeah. And this is about how Jesus is the son of David, but still Lord. Right. So Jesus is now turning the tides and asking the Pharisees a theological question. The purpose of that question is to illustrate the God-man concept. That God, that, that the Son, the Messiah, will be both God and man at the same time. So he's trying to illustrate that. He's charging them with that question. How can a son be Lord to his father, right? Because they believe the Messiah is the son of David. But in the Psalms, David calls the Messiah Lord. So how, how that doesn't happen, right? Um, the Christ will be Lord of David and his son at the same time, denoting that he is both deity, God in the flesh, and the son of David. So in his deity, he is David's Lord. In his humanity, he is David's son. That is the, the God-man concept. I think what's so cool in this section, too, is that I mean, Jesus knows what they're trying to do, but yeah. I think in Jesus' heart, there's still like this hope that one of their hearts will soften. Yeah. You know? Which is good, because, I mean, he has that for all of us. Yep. But I can see that a little bit, even just reading bits and pieces. Like, otherwise, why would he then... I mean, also, like, you have to think he's in that with all the Jews yeah. he's surrounded he's by a, right he's surrounded by a bunch of other people so they're also listening right. to all this and it's, so how many other hearts will it you know right. will it affect even though the nation has rejected him there's still opportunity for individual salvation yeah so while the nation has rejected and will be judged so there's purpose behind there why purpose. he's backing up right. you know all of these things right. and trying to show yes there's that that aspect of it, but there's also the other aspect that the lamb, the the Passover lamb, has to be tested. And right. And so Jesus, right, he presented himself on on Sunday as the Passover lamb, and now he's been tested. That was really the main purpose of this, was to test the lamb of God and to ensure that he is without spot or blemish. Yep. And now he has passed that testing. He's gone through the testing, he's passed it, 
And now he is without spot or blemish, so he is able to be that the sacrifice for the sins of the world. And so now all attempts to discredit Jesus have ended in failure. And so now we'll see him go into judging the Jews for rejecting him and ultimately his death on the cross to pay for our sins. Yep. So you have anything else? No, that's that's it for my notes. All right. So we'll see you guys in the next one. All right. Next one for 23. Bye. Bye.